the Department of Defense is leading an important effort now to evaluate and review the national security implications and most important to conduct a review so that something like this can never happen again. Classified documents about the war in Ukraine and China's experimental weapons are just some of the files that have been leaked from the Pentagon. So how did top-secret intelligence files find their way online, into chat rooms and on YouTube? And the leak wasn't the result of an international spy ring. It wasn't the Russians or the Chinese. The Pentagon hadn't been hacked. The leak was an inside job, the work of a 21-year-old Air Force reservist. Jack Teixeira being taken into custody by the FBI and by the, uh, the investigators there who've been working this case uh, frantically over the last few days. Teixeira was officially charged under the Espionage Act with unauthorized retention of classified and national defense information. Whatever about the content of the documents, which some believe, particularly when it comes to the war in Ukraine, are simply a snapshot in time and therefore not of much value, the leaks are more than an embarrassment for U.S. intelligence. They reveal dangerous weaknesses in America's entire security system. This is in the news from the Irish Times. I'm Bernice Harrison. Today, the Pentagon leaks, an embarrassing test for U.S. intelligence. Scott Lucas is Professor of American Studies at the Clinton Institute in UCD. So, Scott, we know that a young man, Jack Teixeira, has been arrested for the leaks. What what do we know about him? So Jack Teixeira is 21 years old. He enrolled to serve in the Massachusetts Air National Guard when he was 19. And he's still with that unit. He lives in southern Massachusetts, near Cape Cod. He had been promoted last July, uh, but he still was at a relatively low level in what is a state unit that carries out duties for the federal government when called upon. So in other words, National Guard units can be deployed to go overseas, as was the case in the 2003 Iraq War. But we really aren't talking about frontline intelligence or military service unit here which raises the immediate question of why a 21-year-old member of the Massachusetts State Air National Guard could get access to these classified documents, including top-secret documents. Well, how? Do we know how? There is a general issue in that there's been a vast expansion, especially in the past 20 years, of people who can get access within the U.S. government to classified material. It's estimated that about 1.25 million people have some type of security clearance. That would raise a general issue of whether material is being provided not on a need-to-know basis, uh, but on the basis of a need-to-inform. And so whether Teixeira, for example, was being given this top-secret intelligence to develop briefings for his superiors. It may also be, and I have to emphasize here, I'm speculating, Jack Teixeira was an IT specialist. Uh, he helped maintain the servers uh, and carried out other cyber duties for the Air National Guard. Did he come across these documents while he was maintaining the computer servers? So in other words, he wasn't actually supposed to see these documents, but he came across them in the course of his duties. Or did he get the documents from someone else? Did someone else who did have access to him pass it to that? And And none of this has been clarified as of this point. So the thing that's, I suppose, look, there's several intriguing aspects to this, but the thing that I think is particularly intriguing 
is that these are actual documents. These are maps that he actually took out and photographed. The documents that he initially put up to a small group of people on a Discord server. Uh, Discord is a server which became very popular for gamers, but it's also used for other social messaging uh, and discussion. So this group of about 25 people, half of whom are from overseas, he was sort of showing off by showing them these documents, and they appear to have been in their original form there. But what happened is, is that someone in the group then put the documents onto other areas of the internet, onto other Discord servers, eventually onto the Telegram messaging channel, which is very popular in Eastern Europe. And there, some of those documents were altered, very crudely altered to serve Russian disinformation. So again, unless you've actually seen the actual documents that Teixeira actually showed the group, you have to be careful that whether or not you're seeing the original or whether you're seeing something that was doctored to serve someone else's purpose. So we have this 21-year-old gamer. He's put these documents, these highly classified secret Pentagon documents, up online into his closed group of presumably like-minded gamers. Presumably they, they normally just, you know, share gaming tips or whatever. He's put them up on into his closed group chat on Discord. Then they are leaked out into the rest of the world. So the leak leaks out into the rest of the world onto other online platforms. So the impression we're getting is that these documents, they were out in the world online for months and months before the U.S. government knew about it. Yes, and that's a story that I think deserves examination, not that we'll get immediate answers. Uh, Jack Tessera began sharing these documents with a very small group late 2022. Uh, he was, you know, according to accounts of those who were in the group, he was really dissatisfied that they weren't getting it, that there, that there were issues with the U.S. government and that they needed to know what the government was really doing. The First spread of the documents beyond that small group was in early March uh, onto another Discord server. And U.S. officials are saying you know, to media at this point, oh, we didn't really know about the documents until they finally hit, for example, Telegram and Twitter in early April. Now, here's the issue I've got with that explanation right now. And that is, is that the U.S. National Security Agency, probably the most powerful electronic intelligence agency in the world, has the capacity to monitor the internet, including servers such as Discord. So was the U.S. really in the dark for at least a month as these documents began to spread um, onto various places on the internet and, and had no idea that they were being spread? Or were they actually saying, okay, these documents have gotten out, let's monitor what's happening in an effort to identify, first of all, who was producing them and whether that person was spreading them on behalf of someone else, for example, a foreign state or an entity within the US. Presumably he'd been interacting with his pals on Discord for a long time. What did his, and presumably now, all his interactions have been explored and gone into, what do they reveal about him as a character? He was liked by the members of that group. Now, I have to emphasize, most of the members of that group, uh, in fact, almost all of them were teenagers. Jack Tessera was actually the old man of the group at 21. And so they sort of looked up to him as a figure who had a position. You know, he had this position in the, the National Guard. He wasn't just playing military games online. He was in military service. Uh, he was, you know, quite open in terms of discussions with them. They, they said he got a bit of an edge, you know, towards the latter period. You know, as he began to spread the documents, 
a little bit of frustration that they were really just into video games. You know, why weren't they considering issues of current affairs? Why weren't they considering what the U.S. was doing overseas? Um, and as he became sort of more of an, of an activist in terms of a political activist, uh, yeah, it, the temperature went up a bit. But even after the documents had been discovered, and even after it was known that people were searching for who had leaked them, uh, members who were interviewed by uh, outlets such as the Washington Post, that you know, they defended Teixeira. They stayed loyal to him. They would not give up his name. And they said, look, you know, the, you, you're not going to get us to give him up because he was one of us. So let's talk about the documents. The majority of them refer to Ukraine and particularly the spring offensive. Did the leaks tell us anything we didn't know? The leaks over Ukraine give us an image at a certain point of time. And I want to emphasize those words at a certain point in time, because I think some in the media have lost sight of that. And by that, I mean the latest document that was released was from early February. And these were situational reports. These were briefings um, of you know, U.S. military commanders. And importantly, it looks like the documents were used in a briefing by the U.S. of their allies in Germany. These would be allies who would also be supporting Ukraine. At the time when the early February document was produced, it said that the United States still did not think that Ukraine had the capacity to launch the counteroffensive, which we have been expecting to take place this spring or this summer, that uh Ukraine still did not have certain capabilities that were needed on the ground and possibly in the air, and that Ukraine has also been very much trying to defend uh, the front line city of Bakhmut in eastern Ukraine, and that had been taking up a great deal of effort. But I have to emphasize that was in early February. Here we are now, two and a half months later, and there's been a vast amount of military assistance which is being provided to Ukraine. Uh, you'll you'll see headlines about, for example, that battle tanks will be supplied this year to Ukraine. Uh, some uh, Soviet-era fighter jets have been supplied to Ukraine. But even before we talk about those, we're talking about a significant number of armored vehicles, battlefield vehicles, uh, rocket systems, including advanced U.S. rocket systems, artillery units, munitions. In other words, there's been a ramp up of military assistance for Ukraine. And there are these discussions which are taking place, not just openly, as will be happening in Germany, but indeed behind closed doors of, okay, when is Ukraine ready to push the button, you know, to really push the Russians back in the east and in the south of the country? So I think there was sort of an immediate, as it were, PR damage, especially ones that, that Russian supporters would exploit saying, ah, oh, look, you know, look, the idea that Ukraine is going to come after us, the, the West can't provide them enough to do so. There was sort of that immediate shock, but when you actually put it into the context of where we are now, you realize these documents very rapidly are moving from the era of being current intelligence to being recent history. Sure. They also show, don't they, the extent to which U.S. agencies have been able to penetrate the Russian intelligence and military. I think that the lasting significance of the documents is not really the situational reports, but what they do reveal about U.S. capabilities. Uh, because the reports uh, give some very good detail, which complements what we already knew about, for example, the infighting in Moscow, about the use of the mercenary Wagner group and the tensions that that caused with the Russian defense ministry, about those who were vying for influence around Vladimir Putin, about the military commanders who had been replaced, 
In other words, showing really a Russian system which, as it faces battlefield problems and economic tensions, is in disarray. It really it was an important snapshot of the U.S. knows what's going on. What was important is the documents do not reveal the sources of the U.S. intelligence. Where these documents could have caused real damage to American intelligence services, and indeed relations with allies, is, is if they had revealed the electronic intelligence sources or the signals intelligence sources or the human intelligence sources by which the U.S. learned so much. And so far, it appears that the sources themselves have been protected, even as the information about what the sources were, were revealing has gotten out. They also showed that there are a small number of Western special forces operating inside Ukraine, and they number them. And I, I don't think we had known that before. It makes for headlines in the press about special forces operating in and near Ukraine, but it's not a surprise. Even before the Russian invasion in February 2022, when it was imminent, uh, the United States, European powers had been putting in more units on the borders of Poland, uh, you know, into Poland, for example, uh, into other uh, NATO countries in Eastern Europe to monitor the situation and to advise Ukraine in terms of what might happen and what should be done if the invasion was launched. And that advice was ramped up as soon as Kyiv did not fall in the opening days of the invasion. You know, what we're talking about here is sharing of intelligence, discussions on logistics, uh, discussions on the state of battlefield weapons, you know, discussions on the aerial reconnaissance, which the U.S. and the Europeans have been maintaining. That type of cooperation is expected. Uh, it was new that the documents show that some of the special forces were providing that type of support to Ukraine from inside Ukraine rather than outside of it. But importantly, where in Ukraine was this? Uh, you know, again, some media outlets were like, oh, special forces are on the Ukrainian battlefield. You know, they're right there in the east or in the south, when in fact those special forces could have been deployed in western Ukraine, right near the Polish border, which keeps them out of harm's way and also avoids any type of, you know, Russian propaganda uh, that NATO and that individual members of NATO are now directly involved uh, in the Ukrainian conflict through their special units. Coming up, Scott Lucas tells us what the leaks might mean for Ireland. Aside from uh, Ukraine, the documents also talk about China. And one of the documents revealed that China has been conducting experimental weapons tests how has that information been received? Again, I, I don't think that's a real shocker that, that China is trying to increase its military capabilities. It's trying to do so on the ground, in the air, um, in terms of its Navy. China has publicly ramped up the number of military exercises that it conducts, both on its own, for example, near Taiwan and with other powers, including Russia. Uh, there are some specifications about those weapons that I think are, are notable. I think they really point to uh, industrial capacity and the technological capacity for uh, providing these weapons. I think the most significant revelation about China from the documents is, is one where you have to connect the dots with some other things that we already knew in the public domain. And that is on February 23rd, there's a U.S. intelligence assessment based on intercepts of communications from uh, Russian security services 
that the Chinese may be on the point, or they're at least discussing, providing lethal military aid. Now, why is that significant? Because on the 19th of February, only four days before that assessment was produced, uh, Anthony Blinken, the U.S. Secretary of State, told China's top diplomat, Wang Yi, uh, this was on the sidelines of the Munich Security Conference, do not cross this line. Do not cross this red line and provide this type of military assistance. And what has been significant is that if China was thinking about providing the military assistance, they have very loudly in public said since late February, no, we're not doing this. We're, we're, we're emphasizing uh, our 12-point peace plan. We're emphasizing the diplomatic route. And indeed, China has gone so far as to say we do not support the Russian invasion. So I, I, I think if China was thinking of tilting or at least discussing a tilt towards Moscow, there's this period in late February where I think uh, the signals from the U.S. and from European powers sort of made China think, no, we, we need to do more of a balancing act here rather than going all in with Vladimir Putin. And has the Biden administration commented on that detail of the leaks or even actually on the leaks in general? No, I, the, the only comment that, that Joe Biden really issued that was notable uh, because, of course, you're talking about a criminal case. You know, you can't comment on the details of a criminal case in the States. Uh, he said, as a respect to the uh, content of the documents, they don't affect where we are, the contemporary position. In other words, that point that I was making earlier, which is, is that what was in the documents becomes a historical snapshot very quickly and does not actually expose, you know, where we're going to be this spring and indeed this summer. Beyond that, no, U.S. officials have not commented directly on the documents about what they say about Ukraine, what they say about China, what they say about other American allies, such as South Korea or Israel. What the Americans have done is reassure those allies. Uh, they have reassured Israel, South Korea and Ukraine look, uh, we recognize that this leak occurred. Um, we're going to look at why it occurred. We're going to assess what damage has been done, but we're, we're going to assure you we're still reliable here. This doesn't point to a long-term uh, damage to our relationships. Okay. So whatever about the content of the leaks, I mean, it's more than an embarrassment for US security. That's like a 21-year-old kid, an employee, got in, leaked information to this gamer channel. Uh, he seemed to have done it for fun, really, for no particular reason. I mean, what does it reveal about U.S. intelligence? Well, first, before you talk about U.S. intelligence, what it revealed about Jack Teixeira is he did it for ego. You know, he, he did it. And again, members of the group said this. He did it not only to say this is an important issue. This is important. You learn about these issues. He did it to show that he could provide those documents. So it's, a, you know, it's a pretty base motive for revealing this. For U.S. intelligence services, what they have to do is they have to go back and they have to assess, you know, if you're giving access to classified documents for 1.25 million people, there might be a notable fraction of them that are willing to leak documents for the sake of ego. So what do you do about it? But that being said, you know, and, and there's a bit of a media feeding frenzy when this occurs in the initial weeks after the documents come out, then I think you got to produce a bit of perspective. And that is... We've had two other major leaks of American intelligence documents in the past 15 years. You had the WikiLeaks revelation of millions of American documents that it received, uh, including, for example, the American soldier, Chelsea Manning. Uh, those documents exposed details of American special operations and indeed mercenary operations, uh, including the killing of civilians in places like Afghanistan and Iraq. And then you had, uh, just over a decade ago, you had the leaks from within the National Security Agency, this top secret electronic intelligence agency by one of its staff, Edward Snowden, 
as he left the agency and eventually wound up in Russia, those two episodes were far more serious. They were far more serious in terms of the scope of what happened, WikiLeaks, because it actually pointed to the possibility that American forces were committing war crimes, and Snowden, because he revealed the sources of American intelligence. So the immediate significance of the Teixeira case is not as great in terms of what has been revealed in documents. The broader significance is, why did they let it happen again? And that's, that's where you've got to provide reassurance to countries in Europe, to countries in Asia, like Japan, like South Korea, to countries in the Middle East, um, and of course, to, to places like Ukraine, which is, this is probably still the most powerful intelligence service in the world in terms of its capability, in terms of its scope. But can it maintain operational security uh, where exposure doesn't damage not only the United States, but those with whom it works? Now, we saw him in TV news reports being arrested at home, I think in his front garden. How did the FBI track him down? Because again, he, this isn't a spy in hiding. This is just a bloke in red shorts sitting around his house. So how did the FBI track him down? Well, there's a couple of ways that Jack Teixeira would have been tracked down, which make this inevitable he was going to be caught. One is just a basic one, which is once you find out that the documents originally started on a Discord server, you look at who the administrator of that Discord server is, because that's information that is registered when you set up one of these discussion rooms. And that was Jack Teixeira. Secondly, it's a story of where we are in terms of 21st century open source uh, intelligence. Uh, even before the arrest was made, there were people who were providing photographs, which indicated it was Jack Teixeira, because when Jack Teixeira took photographs of the documents to then upload them onto the internet, uh, he took the photographs, for example, on his mother's sofa. <laughs> and people actually looked at the detail of his mother's sofa and they matched it with other, well, Facebook entries, you know, social media entries on Twitter. And you could match if you did enough digging that, yes, this was a sofa which happened to be in the house of Miss Teixeira, who lives in North Dulwich, Massachusetts. And that's where they found Jack Teixeira. So it, it was actually pretty quick. I mean, you, I think from the time that uh, Bellingcat, which is one of the big open source investigators, uh, brought out the first photographs and said, this is what we probably know about the suspect. And then the mainstream media picked it up, I think within 24 to 48 hours, Washington Post, New York Times. It was only another day or two before Jack, uh, Jack Teixeira was scooped up by the FBI. So if I could bring it back home uh, there, Scott, was there anything in the documents in relation to Ireland? Is there anything that we should be interested in? There's nothing specifically in the documents about Ireland. And of course, because a lot of these documents are about NATO operations, Ireland is not a member of NATO. But I think if you look at this a bit more widely, yeah, it, it, there is an Irish interest here. And that is you're talking about an Ireland right now, especially in the midst of the Russian invasion of Ukraine, which is reconsidering its relationships with allies, including its military relationships. Um, and some of those relationships, without you know, with Ireland not actually joining NATO, will be possibly clo closer liaison with NATO members, and especially with the U.S. And as Ireland begins to think about the nature of those operations, which may go beyond, for example, those we associate with the Irish forces, such as peacekeeping, you have to talk about information security. Let's say hypothetically, for example, that Ireland was considering coming formally away from its position of neutrality and that that was revealed in an American document. That would probably be a bit of an embarrassment for the Irish government to have that open, 
you know, we know it's happening, but to have that openly presented through American intelligence. And so, yes, you know, even a place like Ireland is only one or two steps removed from that question of where the United States goes with its partners in the aftermath of the Teixeira case. So look, we don't have a master criminal here. This is a kid who was prompted by, as you say, ego. He posted them to this sort of gamers platform that's full of teenagers. And presumably when they saw this stuff going online, they presumably thought it was fake. Why would they think it's real? It looked, I'm sure it seemed fake and a bit bonkers. Um, but what are the charges against him now? The charge against Dak to share is he's violated the Espionage Act. Anytime you put one document, classified document, out without authorization, you can be liable to a felony charge which has a punishment of up to 10 years in prison. Now, if Jack Teixeira put up only 100 documents, he could be liable to 1,000 years in prison. And of course, Jack Teixeira put up many hundreds of documents. So yeah, you know, he's facing life in prison. Uh, if the court deemed it the breach to be that serious um, and inflicted the full force of the law, it might seem a little bit unusual. You know, you would think that life in prison is reserved for those who commit high treason, um, those who like spill, for example, nuclear secrets, but welcome to the 21st century. And that is a lot of people can become leakers very quickly. And they're not necessarily whistleblowers. They're not doing it in terms of a cause for accountability or responsibility. They leak for getting a bit of attention. And I think I've got to be honest with you, journalists, politicians, and most importantly, intelligence services have to catch up with that. I guess if I could give you a comparison, you know, when I first came to the United Kingdom in the 1980s and I began my research, you know, for my books and, and for my journalism, we were talking about people like the Cambridge spies of the 1950s, you know, Kim Philby, who defected to the Soviet Union, Donald McLean, Guy Burgess, who also went over there, you know, and it was this, this was this Cambridge spy ring. Eventually there were five that were identified in it and how had they operated for years? And it was like this incredible spy story of these people that were placed within the highest levels of the UK government in the foreign office in MI6. Well, this isn't Burgess. This isn't Philby. This isn't McLean. This is Jack Teixeira of the Massachusetts Air National Guard. And you've got to realize that there are thousands, potentially tens of thousands of spy stories out there. If you don't update your systems for what happens in the 21st century in this new era of media and technology. Has Tuchera put forward any defense yet? Do we have any idea what his defense is going to be? Has his family said anything? Do we, has anybody come forward giving his side of the story? In the brief court hearing, that was held in Massachusetts. You know, he was he was brought into court and asked if he understood the charges. The defense team said, yes, we do. So we have no idea of what either the legal defense is going to be or simply what the personal uh, explanation would be for this. You know, and unless Jack Teixeira takes the stand in the trial, we might not find that out. Um, again, I, I think you can find out from those who are around Jack Teixeira uh, who've spoken out, starting with the members of that online group, you know, ideas of, of why he did it and how this all started. Um, but getting that firsthand account, no, I think you and I are going to have to wait for a bit longer. Thanks very much, Scott. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. That's it for today. For more Irish Times journalism, including extensive foreign coverage, subscribe at irishtimes.com forward slash subscribe. I'm Bernice Harrison. This episode was produced by John Casey. In the news, we'll be back on Wednesday. Wednesday.